And I see that, uh, yes, the main culprit is right here. I can't really say anything bad, though. You look good. Was that, wait, was that inappropriate? Sorry, sorry if that was. Good morning. Uh, a great time of worship. It's, uh, you know, it's always when we come and, and um, maybe, you know, we have a busy day, a busy weekend with a lot of things on our minds. But when we turn our focus on Jesus and just uh, try to hear from him and then experience his presence, he always come, uh, God always come through and let us know of the things that he has for us. So, uh, so for me, I just felt like it's, it's always nice to be in a place of worship. That's when we lift him up and acknowledge that he is God and realize that, there's no other person that we're worshiping. We're worshiping a God, not a man. So it's always uh, really nice. Sometimes I, I keep saying this, but one of these days it's going to go too. We're just going to let worship go and go and go for the whole time. But one of these days we'll just preach the whole time. So uh, is that funny? That's not funny. Scare? You're scared. All right, good morning. Let's get started. This morning, we will get back into the series that we have started uh, early in the year, which is the Jesus we know and love, um, by going through the book of Luke. Uh, we started out with chapter 1. Now, we're up to chapter 21. And uh, the reason that we as a church is, is using the book of Luke is to learn more about Jesus, what he did, his teaching, so we can learn about who he was, or more accurately, who he is. And the more that we learn about who he is, the better it will be for us. It's one, and also number two, is that the more that we know about Jesus for ourselves, it's important because when we share with others, we're sharing from a place of knowing who Jesus is instead of regurgitating what you hear on a Sunday or what you hear on TV or just you know, things that you read. It's, it's a personal relationship. Uh, and so when you want to share with somebody, like why do you go to church? Why do you sing? Why do you worship? We can share from that place of, yes, I worship because of Jesus. It's not because, well, I worship because everybody's singing, so I'm singing along. So hopefully, there's a reason for that. And that's why we go through this book of Luke, just to get to know more of who Jesus is. Um, and, and, you know, I, I say this every Sunday, but I just feel it's important to, to uh, say this, to remind all of us. There are two ways for us to learn more about Jesus. Number one is to go through scriptures, to study the word. And, and that's why we're going through the book of Luke. And number two is to spend time with him. Um, God is a very relational God. So if we don't spend time with him, we would not get to know fully who he is and his plans and his purpose that he has for us, each and every one of us. So that's something that we, we all should try to do both corporately and in our own time. Uh, you know, spending time with God doesn't, uh, doesn't have to be uh, sitting in a, uh, a quiet room by yourself. Spending time with God could be also doing the things that we enjoy. God wants to be with us while we're doing the things that we like. You know, for some, it may be running. For some, it may be cooking. For some, it may be like cleaning. You know, for some, it may be like listening to worship. And who knows, you know, whatever that you enjoy doing. That's when God wants to spend time with you, you know, while you're biking. You know, for me, when I bike to work, it's, it may be a little bit dangerous, but that's when I really try to spend time with God because it's a time alone doing the things I really enjoy, experiencing the city, the, the, the busyness and the crowdedness. I do need to watch out for cars, though, but the busyness and the crowdedness of, of the city really energize me, and that's when God wants to spend time with us. So I use that as an example to let you know that it doesn't have to be I have to find a quiet room and 
that's when God is with us. So, um, so I, I want to encourage you guys and remind that those are two things. They go hand in hand. It's not about studying the word or it's not about just spending time with God. It is both. For, so anyway, um, and also when we do that, you know, a lot of the, the, the complications that we have, the dramas or the problems or the conflicts and, and the anxiety and the fears that we have, the more we spend time with God, the more that we study the word, the, 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 the smaller those problems will appear to us. They may seem bigger and more complicated if we try to deal with them ourselves, but if we know who Jesus is, truly know who he is through the word and also know who he is through our time that we spend with him, the, those problems will become much smaller and, and it will give us a better idea of what to do, why we're here for this season, for this time, in this place, and where God is taking us, you know, us individually and us as our family. So anyway, I just want to say that I know uh, it's, it's a reminder for, for a lot of you guys and hopefully it's something that, uh, that we are already doing. Uh, for, for each and every one of us. Because as much as I love to stand up here and talk all the time, I want to encourage each and every one of us to get to know Jesus, for each one of you guys to get to know Jesus for yourself. So, so that's why I want to say that every week. So okay, let's go to Luke 21. We will get to that eventually. So uh, in Luke 21, you know, the first uh, four verses are about uh, if you guys have... Um, the Bible in front of you, or if you have your smartphones, iPads, iPhones, what have you, uh, open up any translation that you want, New T NIV, NLT, King James, whatever, as long as you're reading one, that's all that matters. Um, so, so the first four verses is about the poor widow's offering, and the rest of the chapter is about the signs of the end times. You know, I want to take a big chunk of time this morning to focus on just the first four verses uh, due to the restriction of time because uh, we're not, not going to be able to go through the whole chapter. However, I want to encourage everyone to read the rest of the chapter to, to come along with us in our, um, in our time of, of studying uh, the Bible. Uh, I do want to say briefly about the rest of the chapter. You know, it's, it's a very, very brief summary of the book of Revelations. Uh, I, the book of Revelations is about the end times. And I know it is a very difficult topic to talk about with wide-ranging theologies about what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. So I don't want to comment too much on the end times this morning because it will take days, if not years, to talk about what's in the book of Revelations. But I do want to make a few comments. That it is, It's very interesting to note that people, people in general, people who, who don't know Jesus or who's not familiar with, with scriptures, that you know, it's interesting to see that recently we've been seeing so many movies or TV shows and even books about what's going to happen. The end is coming. Because even, even though people are not familiar with Revelations, it's like, oh, you, know, you guys are familiar with The Walking Dead? You know, you're familiar, if, if you're old enough, you remember year 2000, everything was supposed to end. And there's a movie about 2012, you know, there's apocalypse, natural, disaster, alien, alien invasion. You know, whatever it is. And I think um, most people just have this innate feeling that, that they know that something is coming. But because they don't know Jesus, so they start coming up with all these different assumptions about what's going to happen. But for us, we know what's going to happen. And, and, you know, just to say that, you know, we know what happened. And what I, what I want to say is, 
focus on that the king is coming back for his bride. That's what we need to focus on. Um, I lost track of my note. And, and just know that, you know, uh, in general, there will be tough times ahead of for us as followers of Jesus. But he's coming back for his bride, which is probably going to happen. We don't really know when, right? It could happen sooner. It could be next month. It could be 100 years from now. But we know that he's coming back. Um, but what I want to do is I want to highlight a few verses in Luke 21 just for us to keep in mind and, and not think about the chaos. You know, Jesus spoke these, uh, these things to remind, to remind us to trust in him among all the chaos. Uh, verse 15, when he said, For I will give you words and wisdom that none of, you, none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And in verse 19, he said, Stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm. You know, stand firm on our faith of Jesus. Stand firm in our trust in Jesus. Stand firm in knowing that we are protected by Jesus. And stand firm knowing that Jesus is interceding for us day and night. The Almighty God is interceding before the Father for us day and night. For us, each and every one of us. So stand firm in knowing that. And also stand firm in knowing that we will win life. You notice that he didn't say we will win money or positions. We will win life. And also in verse 27 and 28, as a reminder for us of what's going to happen. You know, the chaos and then things are going to happen, but at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I want to highlight these verses to encourage us to continue to put our trust in Jesus. Whether the end is coming next month or 100 years from now, as we trust completely and wholeheartedly in Jesus, we will win life. And that's, that's what we need to remember. Like we are to stand firm, to stand tall, lift up our heads, because the king whom we worship earlier this morning, whom we adore, is coming back for his bride. And that's, that's what I want to touch on in Luke 21. So the book of Revelation, you know, whether you want to study or don't want to study it, remember those verses. There's some pretty crazy stuff. Not, 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 I don't mean that it's wrong, but there's some pretty incredible stuff. But just remember the verses that I just shared with you. It's stand firm and stand tall because Jesus is coming, and he's coming back to redeem us. So anyway, let's go back to the first four verses for this chapter. Um, just, just to remind you guys, you can also find this passage in Mark 12 also. Exactly same verses. So as Jesus looked up, starting from verse 1, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And as, as you can probably tell, we're going to talk about the gifts. Gifts, offerings, tithes, whatever you want to say it uh, this morning. But I do want to say a few things, maybe to pre-qualify uh, before we dig into these four verses about the gifts. We, as a church, uh, for me, are not looking or hinting of any type of offerings. We're not 
seeking any additional money. We're not looking for a new building. We're not looking for offering for a new car, a new private jet to fly our clients around. We're not looking for offering for a new bike. I have a one-speed city bike, which I love. We don't need offering for that. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, just to pre-qualify. And also, uh, in addition to that, um, we, I am uh, talking about this this morning is from a place of strength. Strength from the standpoint that for those who are committed to restorations as a local church have been faithfully and very committed in, in tidings and offerings. So I want to say that up front to let everybody know. You know, obviously, you can, again, you know, I'm not, I think for those who know me uh, and know us, I'm not looking to double my salary. You know, you, you, double zero is still zero. Uh, we, you know, we're not, restoration is not supporting my salary in any way, shape, or form. I want to say that. Uh, we, you know, we have been very frugal uh, with our administrative uh, cost, expenses, so to speak. And, uh, you know, just to throw out something, uh, we, we don't usually talk about finance, but if any of you guys have any questions about finance, feel free to come up and talk with me. I'll be happy to talk and share with you guys what's going on. Obviously, I will not be able to talk about the confidential matters about who's tithing what and what have you, but we will be happy to talk about um, a, you know, some of those things. Anyway, I just thought I'd want to say that. So gift, I'm going all over the place. Gifts and offerings is another, and, and wanna, I, I feel like it's important for us to talk about this because gifts, tithes, and offerings is a, is a major topic within scripture. Even though I, I think the church in general kind of feel a little bit uncomfortable talking about money. But it's a big topic. So I don't want to minimize the importance of tithes and offerings. You know, we all have seen on TV so much abuse uh, from, you know, TV evangelists or people while having multiple big homes, they're still looking for a bigger building. Or, you know, like the things that I was saying earlier, looking for a new jet, a new cars, and, and contributing to, a, to build a bigger building. You know, some of those are okay. Some of those are right. But there's been so much uproar about abuse that's causing uneasiness from church leaders, and I'm speaking in general, from church leaders to speak freely about money, which is a shame. Jesus spoke so much about money. He did. Some actually brief statistics for all of us to know. 19 of the 39 parables were about money or possessions that Jesus spoke about. Roughly half. In the four Gospels combined, one in 10 verses deal with the subject of money. In Luke alone, which is the book that we've been going through, one in seven is about money or possessions. The Bible, you know, just, just to give some comparison, there are 500 verses on prayer, you know, maybe less than 500, a little bit less than 500 on faith. Over 2,000 verses on money and possessions. So I believe that, that money and possessions are mentioned because, because Jesus and God knows how money can influence and impact us and alter our life decisions, not for good. That's why, you know, I know I, you, you may remember in Luke 16, he said, you cannot serve both God and money. So, so let's note, just that last verse alone, you cannot serve both God and money. So he said, he didn't say you cannot serve both God and fame or title or positions or you know, how big your house is, where do you live, what neighborhood you live in, your, your, your appearances, your popularity. He said money. 
And as I was studying this, I just realized it's pretty incredible. He didn't say you cannot serve both God and the devil. He did not say that. He said you cannot serve both God and money. So it, it, it should cause us to think how much money can influence our decision, our life decision, intentionally or unintentionally. So anyway, just to, just to pre-qualify some of those things, um, some of the things I want to highlight uh, for us as a church in this passage is I, I felt like uh, the first thing is, is when Jesus said, truly I tell you, whenever you, we see that Jesus said, truly I tell you, the translation for us is, I tell you the truth. So he's speaking the truth to all of us, to letting us know, hey, what I am about to tell you, this is the truth. And coming from Jesus himself. Um, just to help in, in better understanding this passage, you know, um, the widow put in two very small copper coins. One copper coin is an equivalent of 1% of a denarii. One denarii is an equivalent to a, a, a day's wage. So let's say if you make $100 a day, this poor widow is putting in $2. I'm just using that as an example. So just give us an idea of what is one copper coin. And um, the poor widow, uh, it's important to note that Jesus pointed out the poor widow because you know, not in nowadays, let's say if there's a widow, you know, the, the spouse can apply for a job. You know, can, can, can claim the property and, and receive the, the, in, the, the, the possessions and money and what have you. Back in those days, unfortunately, unfortunately, the widow does not get anything at all. The properties and the, everything is passed down to the son. The widow will get nothing. So, so he's pointing out a poor widow is not someone that can just go applying for a job back then. It's just when you become a widow, you have nothing. And it's important. It, you know, we will see that we go, it will go on to say it's a poor widow because we realize she has no means of income, but she is actually putting all she had to live on into the treasury. Um, and also, you know, we, we see that he, Jesus said he saw. Um, it, 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 it speaks to, to Jesus knowing and seeing everything. You know, we're at Luke 21, there are, there are 24 chapters, so we're getting toward the end, which I think most of us know what's going to happen is he's facing his betrayal, and he's facing an unjust judgment, and he's facing the death for all of us, and he's about to go on the cross to die the most brutal, painful death ever invented. He has those things in his mind, but he still look and notice the little things of what the widow put into the treasury and talk to his disciples and teach to his disciples. So, but, but what's more interesting, he's more interested in our heart in terms of how we're giving. He's more, this speaks to uh, Jesus being more interested in, in who we are, not what we have. And, and Jesus talked about you know, the widow putting in more than all the others. Two small copper coins. This widow was, was, was um, offering the, the offering. And, and um, I think he saw the rich putting in their gifts. So there were a lot of rich people putting in a lot of money. But it was the poor widow that Jesus pointing out. And he said, more than all the others. So it's not more than some, more than most. More than all the others combined so what, that's what Jesus is trying to highlight to us is, to him, two small copper coins can mean a lot. It's because of where it's coming from. It's about the heart of giving 
that's what's important to us. And it's also important for us to see, you know, for us, whether you, we're rich or poor, we can still serve God and we can still please God. Whether we have billions of dollars or we only have $5 in our account, we can still serve God and please him because that's what he always cares about is the heart of, of who we are and what we place as a priority in terms of serving God or serving money. Uh, just a few things to talk about gifts in, in this passage. You know, the gifts is used in most translations, and some translations use the word offerings. You know, that, that type, there are different types of gifts. You know, we got tithes, we have offerings, we have apostolic givings, and we have alms. Um, but, you know, we're gonna, just going to say the word gifts in general, just so we can um, make it get through today and be out of here by noon. You know, gifts, we, we need to realize gift is like gifts to God. Gift to God. God doesn't need our money. Um, it may sound strange, but he doesn't need our money at all. Because if we, if we talk about who God is, he created all things. He doesn't need anything at all. But what we're using the term gift is something that we're giving to God, and it's a privilege for us to give to, give to God a gift. that he's, It's a way for us to show him that we trust him. We trust in him and we want to give him something to show that he is providing for us. He's providing all things for us. You know, the, the, the value of the gift, as you can see, two small coins means nothing for the, those who are rich that put in the gifts, but it's the spirit behind it. That's what matters. Uh, and also, you know, some of the things that uh, throughout scripture we learn that, that God loves a cheerful giver, right? Be a cheerful giver. Nobody wants to receive a gift from someone begrudgingly. For example, if I want to give the gift to Gavin, I'm not going to walk up and say, hey, Gavin, man, here's your gift. I didn't really want to give you anything, but I suppose I have to, so here it is. I mean, how, do you, how would you receive that? Not very exciting, right? Versus, hey, Gavin, you know, I've been thinking about this. I spent time thinking about the gift, about who you are, what you like, what you would like, and I went out and looked for it and got a gift for you. How is that? Is that much better? There you go. So... You know, it's Second uh, Corinthians 9 talking about each of us should give what we have decided in our heart. So it's not about the amount, it's our heart and how we give it, you know, and understanding why we're giving it. You know, the gift is determined by what it costs to the giver. Uh, I always look to the example of David in scriptures. You know, David is the one person that God said, this is the man who's after my own heart. So David knows God. Not only knows God, but knows God's heart. So when David said in 2 Samuel verse 24, chapter 24, verse 24, he said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. David refuses to give what costs him nothing. So when it costs you nothing, it's not a gift. It's not a gift when it costs you nothing. So that's why the gift is determined by what it costs to the giver. And that goes back to two small copper coins. You know, for a rich person, that probably doesn't mean anything. It doesn't cost that person anything. But to the poor or widow, two copper coins cost her a lot. You know, some of the practical examples, you know, just like I said, $100 means a lot to a homeless person, right? But $100 to a billionaire is probably a drop in a bucket. So a gift, when we're talking about a gift, it it needs to cost a giver something. Um, and a gift, you know, gift, tidings, and offerings. I've always looked at it as 
giving to God is an act of worship. You know, for me, I love worship. Um, I just love, and it, that's what it is to me. It's an act of worship because the definition of worship is, is a feeling or an expression of reverence and adoration of God, right? It's, it's an expression or it's an action or it's a feeling of adoring and revering the God that we worship. You know, an act of worship is like when we worship, we, we don't just stand here and just sing the songs and then move on to our day. It's about singing from our heart to say that I worship you. I acknowledge that you are the one true living God. I put my trust in you to provide for me, provide for my family, provide for my local church. And I know that you have a plan and a purpose for me. And I completely trust you. I'm not going to make a decision based on things that's happening to me. I make my decision based on who you are. That is an act of worship. You know, it's, for me, I'll, I'll share a personal example about tithing. Um, this was about 15 years ago. I, um, that's when I came to know Jesus. And uh, uh, tithing was, was, back then, was a difficult concept for me because I, f- for those of you who may know, so I grew up on my own, so I, I kind of put myself in high school and college, so I just felt every single dollar that I, earn, I have earned, I worked hard for. Like, why am I giving it to someone else? I slave day and night for this money. Why am I giving it out? You know, what are you gonna do with my money? I wanna know what you're gonna do with my money. What are you gonna buy? What are you gonna get? Where are you gonna go? Um, but the, once we actually have an understanding and a revelation of who God is, who God really is, and how involved he wants to be with us in our lives, in our everyday lives, it makes things a lot easier for us to give, to tie, and just to say, God, you are God. You are providing for everything. Everything that I have, what I used to have, what I have now, and what I will have. So I trust you. This is a sign of me trusting you. It's the same thing of saying, I believe in Jesus. It's, a, it's an action that is from our heart to say, I trust you. And here is my sign of trust that I'm giving to you, tithing, because I'm being obedient to the things that you are teaching us and the things that you're telling us. So, you know, and, and also giving. Giving is not about legalism. It's not about legalism because uh, some of you may know this. Giving came before the law. Uh, you know, God gave the law to Moses about tithings and how much to tithe. Giving started with Abraham in Genesis 14, for some of you may know. Abraham gave to the uh, priest, Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. So the actual verse in Genesis um, 14, verse 28, is Abraham gave a tenth of everything. So that was not the law. So if, if some of us thinking, well, it's legalism about tithing, it came before the law. And it's about Abraham showing trust. And that's something for us to recognize and realize. And when people say, well, it's, it's legalism, that is, that is not true. Um, giving, also giving. Sadly, this is a topic. Uh, and I want to speak in general because, again, I want to come back and say that for us, as a church, you know, I'm speaking from a place of strength because I know everyone's very faithful and committed to tithing and giving. But I want to say this is a, a general, generally speaking, this is not a topic that is well understood among Christians because money, I, I don't think, is talked about in the correct way or talking about in how important it is. There's a survey a few years ago uh, about um, Christians giving to their local churches. 
the number of all the Christians surveyed, what they gave to the church was 3.8% of the income, 3.8%. And there was also the same survey among all non-Christians, what they give to charity, 3.8%. So the exact same number. So that goes to show that, you know, I don't think when I say us, I, I mean generally speaking, not just here, but Christians in general worldwide, I don't think we fully understand what it is to give and why it's important and the meaning behind it. Um, so I just want to throw that statistic out to let you guys know. And, and again, um, giving and money is the only topic, unless you guys know something else, let me know. The only topic when God said, test me. The only topic when God said, test me. In Malachi, bless you. Malachi 3, verse 10, when God said, test me in this. That is his exact word. Test me in this. No other topic, no other topic where God said, test me. Money. Test me in this. So when he say that, test me in this, he's actively involved. He's actively involved in watching out for us. Actively, actively involved in this particular topic. And, you know, it goes on to say that... Um, you know, he's, um, he's going to be rebuking and, and attacking the devourer, which is, you know, things are going to come devour your, your, the pest that will come devour your crop. He is actively defending us in terms of when it comes to money and possessions. And he's actually rebuking those who come to try to take away what we have and what God has given us. So it's, it blows my mind to think that God actually say, test me in this. So that, to, that should help us to have more comfort in our giving, in our gifting and tithing. And, uh, and also, you know, giving, I just want to say, you know, the 3.8% actually really pained me to know that Christians only gave 3.8%. Um, you know, because if we follow Jesus, we know how generous he is, right? He gave everything. I mean, everything for us. He gave up everything for us. He went on the cross, he gave up his life for us. So when, some, when we are following Jesus as followers of Jesus, we are to be as generous as the people that we follow, right? You want to take on the characteristic of the person that we're following. And that's what we ought to be, you know? We ought to be more generous than those who don't know Jesus. So they can see, oh, Jesus, this is something worth following. And that's what, you know, we, a giving savior ought to have a giving well, a, not a giving, ought to have giving disciples. And we are to, rem and also another thing to remember, you know, where uh, I used to think, well, what are you going to do with my money? And where is it going? And what are you going to buy? You know, we need to remember that Jesus, his work, he does not, he doesn't need our money. But he's pleased to see the reality of our grace in terms of how we can help advance his kingdom. You know, he's allowing us, he's allowing us to help and be a co-laborers in the missions of advancing the kingdom. So that's something for us to, uh, to keep in mind. You know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close up this, um, I'm, I'm, gonna get, I'm getting to the end, I'm getting to the end. So I want, I, you know, in all of this, through this passage, I want to encourage us to recognize what Jesus is saying in this passage um, is to, oh, can you go back? Can you go back to the last one? Uh, I want us to, to say that, you know, go all in, go all in. Jesus went all in for us. So let us be the people who go all in for him. There are many books about saving and being frugal. 
you know, which, you know, so if you, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and some of the other books that you guys read about how if you save every penny, you're going to become a millionaire. Well, in the kingdom of God, just remember it's always, always the opposite. So Jesus is telling us to be generous. Don't save every penny. I'm not saying be wasteful, but don't keep everything because Jesus wants us to give generously because he wants to give us more. I am not a believer of uh, prosperity preaching, but Jesus wants us to know that when we give, God is providing for us. It's our way of saying, I trust you, God. You are providing for me. And I want people to see that. And I want to speak that out. I want to live that out. Um, you know, so he's telling us to be generous with our money. And that's his, and you know, I, rich, what is rich, right? What is rich? I mean, for, for in, in this world, rich is about money. But for us, people who live in the kingdom of God, rich is just more than money. It's just a temporary thing. Yes, it helps us buy things, but it's just a very temporary thing. So if we think from an eternal perspective, from an internal perspective, rich is about the inheritance in God's kingdom. So if we think in very short term, then yes, yeah, maybe money is rich. But if we think in a, with an eternal perspective, there's so much more. We want it an inheritance from God's kingdom which lasts forever. An inheritance that not only for us, but an inheritance for our children, an inheritance for our children's children, for generations to come. That's what we need to think about. And you know, going back to the verse where Jesus said, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. This was not only a statement from the parable of the shrewd manager in Luke 16. It is a statement we all need to remember because Jesus is making a very definitive statement right? Pick a side. Serve me or serve God? I mean, yes, it's the same thing. Serve God or serve money. So that's what he's saying. You know, it's, uh, I talked about this uh, a few months ago. You know, we need to pick a side. There's no safety in straddling and sitting on the fence. Because as we're sitting on the fence, we're actually not serving God. So when we're not serving God, we're serving money. So he is telling us, you cannot serve both God and money. Um, and, I, and I want to point back to that verse that when Jesus said, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. As we choose to serve God, we make fundamental changes to our lifestyle. And it starts with put in all she had to live on. I am not in any way, any shape, any form telling you to put in all your money for your tithing, but I want to say that as an example because as we fundamentally change our lifestyles and recognize who God is and put our trust in him, we're, we're saying that we not only trust you with our lives, you know, with our children, with our family, with our friends, where we live and our, generation, you know, our future, but, but we, we can't say, well, with our money, uh, I can't really trust you that much. I trust you with my kids. I trust you with where I live. I trust you with the decision I make. But with my money, eh, not so much. When we fundamentally change our lifestyles and commit to Jesus, we go all in. So when I say go all in, all in, in everything. Fundamentally, cha fundamentally change our lifestyles. And that's what we want to be. We want to be the church that goes all in. All in into the things that Jesus has for each and every one of us. Um, okay, you know, some of the practical application, you know, a tenth. Again, I just want to go back, you know, don't focus so much on the number. Just focus on, it is an act of worship. It's an act of trust and declaring 
to Jesus, to God that we trust you. You are providing for us. And you have so much more you want to give to us. You know, as you can see the importance of giving. Tithing is just, a, just as much a part of church function. Unfortunately, it's not being talked about as much. But it's just as much a, a function as, as, as worship, being a worshipful church, being a prayerful church, being a church that learned the word and being a church that experiences the presence of God. Giving, as I was using some of the statistics earlier, is a big part of who we are as a church. We, you know, we, we, we want to be a church that follow the biblical model of what a local church to be, to be a church that pray, because we see that in the church in Acts, that they pray, that they worship, that they give, and we want to be that also. And we want giving to be part of who we are, part of our identity. And, and, and I don't want to shy away and not talk about a big part of who Jesus wants us to be as a church. Um, and, the, and, you know, as, as we come and be cheerful and be giving and trusting in God, we can actually say that we are similar to the poor widow where we put in all that we have to live on. I'm not just saying all the money, but just everything, all aspects of our lives and fundamentally change how we live. Uh, some people have asked me in the past about, you know, well, what do you get before or after tax? I mean, decide in your heart what you want to give. A practical example I say is when you're applying for the job, the salary that you're looking for, is it before tax or after tax? Just a practical. Do you go and say, hey, I want you to pay me this much but because it's after tax? I mean, you guys know what I'm trying to say. Um, but anyway, the main point is going back to our heart. Decide on what we want to give within our heart. Um, when we give, again, it's a reminder. This is an acknowledgement that God provides everything for us. It's not about paying God back. It is not about that at all. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money at all. Does that sound harsh? He doesn't need our money at all. But it's, it's our way of thanking God for his provision and letting him know that we trust you. We trust you, God. And here, we want to obedient to the things that you're teaching us. And we have to show you that we trust you. You know, don't let the past abuse or incorrect teaching shape our theology. This is why it's crucial for us to know scripture for ourselves. So we can actually say, oh, giving, tithing, it is part of who we are as followers of Christ. And then, you know, so when we know that for ourselves, we can live according to scriptures, not by our past experiences or, or what the current trend is going. You know, if the trend is saying, well, 3.8%, so I'm going to give 3.8%, what is scripture saying? And that's what we want to live by, and that's what we want to follow. Uh, so another practical example to help with automatic withdrawal. You know, for me, it's just automatically withdrawal from my account on the day that I get paid. If you don't see it, you're not going to spend it, right? It's, it helps. Because if I see it, I probably would spend it. Wait, was that too blunt? That wasn't, that wasn't meant to be too blunt. Uh, and lastly, you know, just a reminder for us to serve God, not money. Serve God, not money. Trust in God for all that we have. And as we talked about trusting God with our families, with our decisions, with, with our children, with a generation, with a major decision that we make, trust in him with everything. You know, God told us to test him in this. As a reminder, let's do what God told us to do. Test him. Test him through our givings. And let us be the people that go all in. I just, I just feel like that's the whole message from, from this passage is that let us be the, be the people that go all in, in all areas. 
not just everything but money, but go all in, in all areas. And let us restoration be known as a church that put in all that we have to live on. And we follow God and pursue him, pursue his presence, and go wherever he's taking us without worrying, looking left, looking right, looking behind us. Go where he's telling us to go and trust that he is taking us to a much bigger, better place than we could ever imagine. And you know, I, I don't want to sound intense. I'm just really passionate. Uh, not, not about money. I'm just passionate about us following everything that God is telling us to do. So, so I just want to end by saying, you know, again, let's put in all that we have to live on. Follow Jesus with all the things that we have in all areas of our lives. Because he is an amazing God who is completely worthy of our everything. Right? I was going to, I have something else, but let's, let's end on that. Let's end on that note, because I think I keep saying the same thing over and over again. Uh, but anyway, I just, I just want to encourage us to, to study that more. You know, if you have any questions, study the passage, study about giving and tithes and offerings and alms. Uh, or if you have any questions, feel free to come up and talk with me. I would be happy to talk with you guys about what's going on. But um, so let's, um, let's pray, and, uh, and we can end the, the service this morning. Father, we just want to thank you for you, God. We thank you for who you are. We just thank you for your presence this morning. Thank you that you come and that you speak to us, that you're always available, that you want to share with us and, and reveal things to us so we can learn more of who you are. And I just thank you that we learn more about you with each and every day. I just thank you for the little children, and I just thank you that they are coming to experience your presence. And we love you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that, um, that you will lead us and guide us for this day and the rest of this day and the next week and the next month and the year to come. And we want to be the people that go all in and we ask Holy Spirit, you will give us the strength, the courage and the wisdom to follow you and do the things that you've called us to do. We love you and we worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen.